Let's open our Bibles to the book of Micah, the fifth chapter. Micah, the fifth chapter. And all the way from chapter 4, verse 9, to chapter 5, verse 1, we have a description of the imminent siege of Jerusalem, a siege that came upon them. And so the first verse actually could be coupled with the fourth chapter. You know, our verse divisions sometimes come at an at a inopportune time. They could have been done a little bit different because chap, chapter 5 and verse 2 begins to deal with the birth of Christ and the place of Christ's birth and a prophecy concerning that. So we ought to treat actually verse 2 maybe as a parenthesis because it tells us where Christ was going to be born and it tells us about Christ. But uh, verse 1 continues to show the uh, captives, <clears throat> the promise of coming captives, and that starts back in chapter 4, verse, or oh, at least verse 6, when the captives are in view. And that's a prophecy of future captives as well as something that happened in the Old Testament. So we'll just read verse 1 and connect it with that thought of the seas of Jerusalem carrying over to this fifth chapter, verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now we know that uh, in the Old Testament there were those uh, of God's uh, prophets that were smitten upon the cheeks, which is a very uh, degrading and disrespectful as well as the fact that, uh, of what it really amounts to in our day and hour. But it was more severe. And you know people get in fights nowadays or there's controversies and someone hits another but it's not like it was in the Old Testament when uh, when a prophet would be smitten upon the cheek or ruler we have some evidence of that in the New Testament of how it was especially when Jesus was smitten <clears throat> and the disgrace that it brings with it so it says now gather thyself in troops O daughter of troops he hath laid siege against us they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek now we know back in uh, Isaiah 50, verse 6. You, you might want to turn to these. If you don't have time to turn to them, just listen carefully. Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, and it's a prophecy of Christ too. It says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. We know this treatment was rendered to Jesus. Look in Mark 14, verse 65, and you'll find the same treatment described here. And some began to spit on him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. We find other references that show much the same thing. We find that not only is this treatment significant of what happened to Jesus in a, on a personal way, but it's what happened to him from his own. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. So, Israel as a whole, and His own people, His own brethren, rejected Jesus when the time came that He would, came on the scene. And we find that there was a treatment of one in, in the book of 1 Kings, not Micah, but it's ca called Micaiah. 1 Kings 22, verse 24. 1 Kings 22, verse 24. I want you to listen to this. 1 Kings chapter 22. And notice what it says. And this is Micaiah that was smitten by Zedekiah. It says, But Zedekiah, the son, the son of Janana, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said... Now, I want you to notice what he said. This Zedekiah was a priest. And he said, he said uh, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord 
from me to speak unto thee. And notice how uh, great he thought himself to be. And because Micaiah had prophesied of what the false prophets, the lying spirits that were in them, and it included Zedekiah. And Zedekiah approaches him and says, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber and to hide thyself. And he goes on to tell about the prophecy he'd already begin to indicate. So what he's saying here, this false prophet or priest was saying to Micaiah, not Micah that we're studying here, that he had a, he was more or less one that claimed that he had a monopoly on the, the Spirit of God. You know, we have some today that feel like that. You know, we've got the Spirit and you don't... Which way did the Spirit go from me to you? How did you get the Spirit anyway? Well, from my understanding of the Bible, God Almighty is, is the Almighty God and He sent His Holy Spirit on whomsoever He will. And it's not just a certain one that may think He's got a little bit above... The next fellow. I've had that to deal with in my lifetime, and I don't know about you, but you you run across folks that say, well, you know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, where did you get what you have? And did it come from me? If it didn't come from me, you don't have anything. Well, I don't think so. The Bible doesn't teach it that way. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of folks claim that the only ones that's filled with the Spirit is their little group. But I know... a if you'll pardon me, I know a few Baptist preachers have been filled with the Holy Spirit in times past. So, uh, don't ever get this idea like this Zedekiah. He said, he smoked Micaiah on the cheek. And that's what he said. Now then, we find that, of course, he told the truth. Micaiah told the truth about what was going on there. And there were false, many false prophets in, in that day that he had to rebuke. And we could go on with a story about Micaiah, the treatment that he received as a result. But we'll get back to Micah chapter 5. So, we see verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. And we know that Jesus was treated in that way. Now then, we come to verse 2. And and if we treat verse 2, I believe it would make better sense in this chapter as a kind of a parenthesis. Because it's a prophecy of the place of the birth of Christ. And who was to be born in Bethlehem. And a description of Christ, or at least indication of, of some things about Jesus. So, we could pick up from verse 1 to verse 3, and it says, Therefore will He give uh, them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. And He's talking about the time that those that had smitten Him in a future time in the book of Revelation, and during the tribulation, that uh, they will bring forth uh, the nation will bring forth, and there will be a remnant of the brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And that's talking about a future time. Even yet, it's still future. In Micah's, in Micah's time, it certainly was future. And in our time, it's future. Because we have not yet come to that place. But let's stop and deal with verse 2. The prophecy of the birth of Christ. And treat it as a kind of a parenthesis between verse 1 and 3. And then we can go on with the lesson of what we will find in the ultimate future of Israel and their return and the remnant that will be saved out of a great tribulation. But let's deal with verse 2 separately now. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Now notice it says, Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. 
Now, it says, Now Bethlehem Ephrathah is to distinguish it from another Bethlehem in the tribe of Zebulun. Another Bethlehem that you'll find in Joshua 19, verse 15, that's spoken of. So, he's very uh, definite, Micah is very definite in, in speaking of the place of the birth of Christ. Now, we know this to be true because we study in Matthew chapter 2. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men came seeking uh, Jesus, where is he that is born king of the Jews? In the second of Matthew, then this prophecy of Micah was the one that was quoted to them by the scribes. Now look in Matthew 2, and we'll read a little bit. Let's start reading with verse 1. We're going to treat this second verse of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, separately. So in Matthew 2, we want to get the whole story of it. So let's look in Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So he wanted to know exactly the place that this king was to be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. It's the same place that we're talking about in Micah. Because there's other names there. Bethlehem Ephrathah is called there. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So these uh, scribes and chief priests especially the scribes who were responsible, verse 4, you see the scribes, were responsible to give the answers to scriptural questions. Here, they quote Micah 5, verse 2, and say that this is where Christ is to be born. And so, of course, we know the rest of the story. They go and follow the star, and they end up in, in Bethlehem, and they find uh, baby Jesus. And, of course, by this time, the wise men, after their long journey and the things that transpired over a period of months or maybe even up to a couple of years because uh, Herod, we don't know exactly when uh, uh, when uh, they reached baby Jesus, but it was in this period of time because Herod, the king, immediately after they uh, were on their way back and, they, and Herod knew that they had that he had been deceived by these wise men and they didn't come back and bring him word so that he could come and worship him, which he didn't intend to do in the first place. Uh, he had the children from two years old and under covering that period of time so that it could have been a long time for the wise men to get there. We don't know how long it was. But they definitely wanted to cover a period of time where they would be sure and get baby Jesus and get rid of him. So... Back in Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Now remember when the announcement, look in Luke chapter 1, if you will, when the announcement of the birth of Christ came to Mary. I want you to notice what is said about, about this announcement when it was made to Mary. Uh, let's just pick up with verse 30. It says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne 
of his father David. You see, he's to be ruler, like it said in Micah. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So it said right here that when Christ would would be born, and he would come, and he would reign, that of his kingdom there would be no end. So we find that it's the same one that Micah's talking about, that is to be ruler in Israel. Micah 5, verse 2. But I want you to notice the last statement in Micah 5, verse 2. It says, Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, from everlasting, from actually the days, the Hebrew says, the days of eternity. And some have said, from infinity. I mean, you go back as far as you can go. And the Bible says that this one that is to be born pre-existed before all time. That he existed before anything was created. Because his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. If you have a marginal reference, the Hebrew does say, from the days of eternity. Everlasting means the days of eternity. And we said already, infinity. Now then, when we start studying about this verse, I want to read something I have in the margin of my Bible here by Adam Clark when it says from everlasting. A great uh, expositor of years and years gone by. And he says, from the days of all time. He says, from time as it came out of eternity is going forth. That there is, that there was no time in which he has not been going forth. Speaks of the deity of Christ and the pre-existence of Christ. He says, coming in various ways to save men. And he that came forth the moment that time had its birth was before that time. He was before that time in which he began to come forth to save the souls that he had created. He was before all things, and he is the creator of all things. The Bible tells us he's before all things, and by him all things consist in the book of Colossians chapter 1. I'll get back to that in a moment. There's another thing I want to mention about that. He was before all things as he is the creator of all things. So, He had to be before all things if he's the creator of all things. And it says, so he is the eternal and no part of what was created. You know, there's a cult that believes, teaches that Jesus was a created being. But he was before because he was the creator. He's no part of what was created. All being but God has been created. Whatever has not been created is God. And he goes on to say, but Jesus is the creator of all things. Therefore, he is God, for he cannot be a part of his own work. He couldn't create himself. And the Bible says in John chapter 1, listen carefully. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, uh, uh, John chapter 1 tells us, That He is the Creator of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. I've given you this before. In the beginning was the Word. That's pre-existence, isn't it? And the Word was with God. That's coexistence. And the Word was God. That's self-existence. And then it tells us in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this word that speaks of Christ in his pre-existent state was in the beginning. He was pre-existent. He was co-existent and self-existent. And he was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we find that that creation is attributed to Jesus. Now I want to give you something else. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
if you will. Now let's pick up with verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. We know this speaking of Christ. We could read the whole context, but it would take so much time. But I want to get to the main point. In whom we have redemption through His blood. That's Christ's blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That means of all creation. That He was before, as we just have already said. And he says, For by Him were... For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Now look, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Even all things are kept in place. Consist means glued together or held together. In their proper place. By Him all things consist. Can you imagine what it would be like if the Lord by permission some way or another would let this universe just go to itself and do what it wants to do? He set everything in an order and in a fashion to where it exists and it, it does not collide, it does not destroy itself, this universe that He created. You say, well, we have meters coming down. Well, they smash on the earth once in a while and cause a little problem, but still they're under God's control. He permits those things to happen, but He keeps the sun and the moon and the stars in their places and everything uh, working in proper order. And this earth especially has God's blessings upon it. He created this earth that man would dwell upon it. And you know, you can look forward to the time that you're going to dwell on the moon, but I'll just soon be here. I'd rather be here. We had a preacher in high school over at Capitan when, when I was going to high school. And I'm talking about in the 40s. In Capitan, his name was Williams, and he said, "In ten years, we'll be we'll have a." And of course, he he did speculate what we'd do in outer space. Said, "In ten years, we'll have a, a thing up in space to where we'll be growing gardens and all kinds of foods up there in the middle of the air, and you know, have these uh, like they have now, the where you have these hothouse tomatoes and so on, all that kind of agriculture going on and." He was telling all about that. But he said in ten years. Well, he missed it a few years. But be that as it may, I'm sure they're going to accomplish a great deal in space. But, you know, this has happened, and it's a tragic thing that happened to the, to the astronauts and to the Columbia. But on the other hand, it just shows the uh, weakness of man and the fact that we do not have it all figured out. We think that we've got something that we can do as we want to with, but we really don't. And we, we start trying to do the best we can, but it shows the limitations. What I'm saying, it shows the limitations of mankind. And regardless of how smart we get and how much is accomplished, which I know there's a great deal yet to be accomplished. And we're thankful for that program because we have satellites up there that send us the signals. And, you know, there's a lot of advantages, a lot of good things happen. But what I'm saying is, regardless of how smart we think we are, God is, is above everything that we are. I'm just kind of like the old guy that said, if God wanted me to fly, to give me some wings. I don't know about y'all, but anyway, I think we try to get too smart sometimes. And I know there's a lot of good things that have come out of, of man's inventions and scientific uh, discoveries and we know a lot of wonderful things that's happened to us. And we have our televisions now, and we have uh, computers, we have uh, all the kinds of communication. And it showed a little uh, thing on the television 
uh, I don't know whether I saw it today or yesterday, but where this, you know, they have these uh, antique things, antique shows, where they come in and see how much this is worth. And they had just a plain old phone, you know, where you punch the buttons that you sit on your desk, a desk phone. And this guy said, would you believe that this used to be, they had a wire plugged into the wall and said, a wire, this guy said, a wire. And he's trying to explain to him telephone business, you know. And you have all the... It was a wireless phone advertisement is what it was. Some of you... Anybody seen that? Some of you have. Okay. <laughs> and he says... He goes on to describe it. He says, well, what's it worth? He says, it's worthless. <laughs> Not worth anything. Diddly squat. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're even to the place now that if you don't have a wireless phone, you don't have a phone. So... Uh, and we know we have them in our houses. We carry them around, walk out in the yard. We go to, we keep, continue with the work, and uh, go right on and talk to people at the same time. Well, I'm not that easy to, to do. I can't do all those things. You know, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm one of those kind that has to do one thing, and that's one thing only. And uh, if I get my mind off of that, well, I'm in trouble. But anyway, some of you may be better off than that. And I think all of our young people have learned how to to watch television and turn their stereo on and uh, and uh, get their computer going and study their lesson in the books at the same time. That's a little beyond me. But if they can do it, let them do it. So what we're saying here is that, uh, and I want to get back to, I want to give you something that you can remember easily, if you will now. Think of Genesis chapter 1, creation, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1. If you'll remember those three and you want to study about creation, you'll just uh, keep those in mind. Well, it'd be very easy for you to convince anyone that Jesus is the Creator, that by Him all things consist. And we, I've turned from that passage, so we'll get back to the book of Micah, if you will. Chapter 5. So when it says in verse 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, in other words, it's a very insignificant place, it didn't amount to very much, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now we treated that as rather a parenthesis, and we still want to, want to talk a little bit about it, because we find that, that uh, when it says, He shall be ruler in Israel, it speaks of not only the fact that he was born. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? But we know that the announcement, we've already referred to that in Luke chapter 1, where it was made to Mary, that he shall sit upon the throne of his father David, and listen, of his kingdom there shall be no end. So he, there will be no end to that kingdom that he shall rule uh, in the future. And uh, we know the story of, and the record of Christ's death and burial and resurrection for our salvation, but still there's a future time that that uh, throne will be realized. We preached a little bit about it this morning, but you'll find uh, more of it in the book of Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back in power and great glory and there's a millennial reign upon the earth in chapter 20 and then the eternal things come into play in chapter 21 and 22. Now then, I want you to notice then, let's pick up and let's read verse 1. You have Micah 5. Let's read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 3. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of 
Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So it's talking about a future time that there will be uh, a conversion, so to speak, and a remnant of the brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Now, I want you to to think with me just a moment about until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. The Bible speaks of the time of Jacob's trouble. It speaks of the time that, uh, well, let's go on down. Let's read further on down to about verse uh, 8 anyway. And then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be peace, when the Assyrian shall come into our land. Now this Assyrian is spoken of in the future aspect, of rather a prophecy of the future trouble that, will be, that Israel will face in the tribulation period. And this man, notice verse 5, shall be the peace. Christ made peace on the blood of the cross, and he shall be the peace for Israel and for all people at the end of the tribulation time, and shall come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Now, it seems that we don't even understand and know what the seven shepherds and eight principal men are, and I would not attempt to try to explain that. But it says, And they shall waste the land of Assyria with a sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. These two archenemies of God's people will be uh, taken care of. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land, and when he treadeth within our borders. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, many uh, other nations, as a dew from the Lord, and as the showers upon the grass that teareth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob, look at verse 8, shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people, as a lion amongst the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who if he go through, both tread down and tear in pieces, and none can deliver. Let's stop there for a moment. The last two verses I read about the remnant of Jacob. They would be like the dew from the Lord and showers of blessings, showers upon the grass, in verse 7, as a blessing and a refreshing. And then in verse 8, to avenge unrighteousness and opposition. If you'll notice the difference between the double character that you find in verse 7 and 8. Notice this double character. In verse 7, it states how much of a blessing the remnant will be. Verse 8, it tells how they will be as a young lion among the flocks of sheep in the midst of the Gentiles, avenging all unrighteousness and opposition to them. Compare those two verses again as you look at them. Let me read them again. Then we want to come back to verse 3 about the travail. But look, it says, And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord. Here's the blessing. As the showers upon the grass that teareth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men, as a blessing and refreshing to the nations. So now look at verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob, same thing, shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Getting rid of all opposition and unrighteousness. But I want you to drop back and see how all this started 
and how Israel came to be this remnant that we've spoken of, how they came to be in existence in the end of times. If you look back in verse 3, Therefore will he give them up until that until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. When will that happen? The travail speaks of the travail that the nation will go through in the book of Revelation before the nation is really uh, born again, so to speak. And a nation is born in a day. And as we look at this thought here in verse 3, we need to look at some references. Uh, Let's see if we can uh, find exactly what we need to look at. We're talking about the travail that we need to discuss. I believe we find that... uh, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter, see, Isaiah chapter 65, 66. Let's look at chapter 66, if you will, and verse 7. Well, let's read verse 6 through 8, 6 through 8. So we might read on down 9 and 10. Just start with verse 6, if you will. Isaiah 66, verse 6. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. It says, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Now then, have you ever seen or heard of a woman bringing forth a child, being delivered of a child before she travailed? Verse 8 says, who has heard such a thing? You never heard of such thing as that. It says, who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? We're talking about a nation now being born at once. For Now look at this, last statement. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. The nation that will be born in the day that we're speaking of is Israel. And that will not be until after the travail. Shall I bring... To birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord. Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn. And it goes on to uh, talk about things that will happen to the Gentiles and so on. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11 now, if you will. Romans chapter 11, where Paul is speaking concerning the conversion of of Israel. We know that in the 11th chapter of Romans, for a great deal of while, he's speaking of all the Gentiles. I want to read verse uh, 25 and 26. It says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. Until, look at that word until, that fullness of the Gentiles be coming. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so when this conversion takes place, it means those will be converted when Christ comes. It's talking about that same remnant, the remnant of Jacob. It's talking about the fullness of the Gentiles being the time in which this conversion will take place, of the nation. Shall... Remember, Micah says, shall, I mean, uh, Isaiah said, shall a nation be born in a day, give birth in a day? So that's what we're talking about. If you look back in um, Romans 11, if you still have it open there, let's begin reading and we'll get some more 
verses of Scripture, beginning with verse 11, to show you what's happened to the, the uh, nation, the Jews or Israel, during this period of time. Right now, during this day and age of grace, and the times of the Gentiles is still now. Conversion. You and I are Gentiles. We didn't have any part in uh, having the gospel extended to us except the rejection of Christ by His own people. And He says, Lo, I turn to the Gentiles, just like Paul says. Seeing you count yourselves unworthy of everlasting life when He was preaching to Israel, He says, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And remember, He was an apostle to the Gentiles. Therefore, Gentiles all over the world have heard the gospel and have been saved through Christ's uh, sacrifice. But verse 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking of Israel, God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. That's uh, Paul is speaking about uh, Israel. And might save some of them. He's trying to provoke them, a remnant of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? See, the remnant will be saved. For if the first fruit be holy, they are the first fruit, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, this is the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, we're partakers of the blessings that uh, Jesus said that salvation is of the Jews, and he extends it to the Gentiles. He says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. Remember, he came to his own, his own received him not. He's a stumbling stone and a rock of events. And thou be, and, but thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, as Israel of his own, take heed lest he also spare not thee, Gentiles. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on whom, on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. He's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the nations as people, the Gentiles. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. That's the Jews. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And then the verses we just read. For I would not, uh, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That's the Gentile people, believers. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When the last soul is saved and born again of the Gentile world, then it says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away what? Ungodliness from Jacob. See, after that travail that we've spoken of, after that tribulation travail, they'll be turned back. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. See, they'll go back into idol worship during the tribulation period. They'll be worshiping their idols. They'll be as far away from God as they can be until the time of their conversion. And you read that in the book of Revelation. For this is my covenant unto them when I take away their sins. 
as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye, Gentiles, in time past have not believed, have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all, what? Jews and Gentiles, in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. See God's purpose? God is a merciful God to all. Now look. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given uh, to him? And it shall be recompensed to him again. Verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we find that Paul deals with it, that conversion at length in what will transpire. So we're, we're not through in the book of Micah. We'll take up and, and uh, with where we left off, possibly do the last part of the chapter uh, and uh, get into the rest of it. Well, I would just like to, if you still have Micah 5, verse, do you still have Micah open? In verse 9, it says, Thine hand shall be lifted up against upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that it will cut off thy horses and out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down the, all thy strongholds, and I will cut off witchcrafts. This is what God's going to destroy in the future of Israel. And in the book of Revelation, you find it. And... Uh, out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. We mentioned that a minute ago. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands, and I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee. So will I destroy thy cities, and I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. And so you find that that condition that we spoke of, of their conversion will take place in a future time.